the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. This false dichotomy between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, it's all one Jesus, right? Deuteronomy 10, 19. Love the sojourner, therefore, because you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Remember who you were. Remember what we were like before we were saved. Remember that we needed saving just like everybody else does. That we're no better than them. We're nothing special. We're just instruments in the Redeemer's hands. And the question is, do we want to be useful or useless? I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Dragon will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past you've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. No, it doesn't say that. Look at verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. That would be unexpected today. This is the active engagement of the culture that Israel was called to do, and they failed. You know, Exodus 19 talks about, I think it's 6, talks about there to be priests and intercessors between God and man and point people to God, and they failed. They withdrew. They cloistered themselves. But Old Testament to New, God wants his people to connect, to reach outside of their comfort zones into a hurt and fallen world. The Pharisees had lost sight of this. But Jesus taught, and again, we see this in Luke 35 and 36, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Be like God. I think of Jesus Christ attaching the ear of Malchus, the servant who had during the period of his arrest, the time of his arrest. I think of Jesus praying on the cross, Father, forgive them. And what does it say right after that? And they gambled for his clothing. We live generously. It doesn't mean we're treated generously. 
But this life is short and eternity is long and we're concerned about matters of eternal consequence. We live our lives with eternity stamped on our foreheads. We want to be salt and light. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do the unexpected. Do the unexpected. And you're saying, well, that is be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. Where do you begin? Let me give you a little application. We'll pay as we go with application. We'll do some application at the end too. Start small. You know, we, we look at, well, you're telling me if this guy, uh, you know what? Take the person or persons that you live with and show them mercy and grace. I had a friend when I was in seminary, his wife, they lived an hour away. No matter what happened, they were 20 minutes late for church. So they moved five minutes from the church and now they were 25 minutes late for church. This, this, is, this is true. No exaggeration. Yeah, they had little kids and stuff, but you know. And there were times where he felt like making them late for something. You know what? Don't do it. Live generously. You know, you may work at it for a company that you just despise. You may work for a boss who is a professional incompetent. But your job is to do all things as unto the Lord. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, do whatever you do to the glory of God. And I remember meeting a guy once, and he worked for a difficult, difficult boss. He never said anything ill against him. At the workplace, he gave it 110% until the day he walked out of there. That's living generously. You know, we think of, when's the last time somebody really slapped you in your face for Jesus? I mean, really, right? But you know what we do? We overlook little opportunities to make big impacts for the gospel. You know, this is, these aren't some high-minded platitudes. This is blocking and tackling Christianity. This is an imperative. He's commanded us to do these things. And it, it doesn't, you know, you don't run a marathon overnight. You start training gradually for that, right? You don't, you don't knock off 120 push-ups in the morning. You start by doing, you know, 10 sets of 10. And then you just keep working until you get there. And it's the same with your faith. You, you, you have, you know, moms forever cleaning up after some of these kids, you know, some of these teenagers. And, you know, you may just want to say, I'm just going to, I'm going to let the mold and all that stuff grow in his room. But you know what? I mean, you just can't do that. We don't want to return evil for evil. We want to overcome evil with good. Start small. Find ways to do the unexpected. Build momentum. Grow in the application of your faith. Start small and it'll grow. And eventually you'll find yourself, you'll, you know, you'll think you're doing the impossible. And people look at you and you'll think, no, I'm just a knucklehead just like you are. I'm just trying to follow Christ. You know, it's not talking about being perfect. But it requires something else, which brings us to the second way in which we do the unexpected, in which we can make an impact and change this world one soul at a time. All these things are interrelated, uh, interdependent attitudes, actions, and conduct. Living generously means that we have to love generously. Love generously. Where do we see that? We see it right here in verse 43. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that, here's your purpose clause, you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? I mean, the tax collectors were the worst people in that culture. They were traitors. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He's like, look, don't act like a pagan. Don't act like a traitor. Act like my disciple. You know, we live in this tribal world, this fractious world, this troubling and troubled world. And people find it easy to hate people. They can look differently. They can speak differently. You know, they don't have to believe the same thing I believe, and I hate them. You know, it amazes me. You know, the older you get, you like to think that as people get older, too, they show and they demonstrate common sense. 
But if any of you either watched on cable or were able to go on YouTube and watch the Tony Awards, where Robert De Niro made a total fool out of himself, you know, this profane tirade pumping his arms like some teenager or two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum, you know? It's awful. This is the world we live in. People find it easy to hate. There's no courtesy. There's no dignity. I mean, a man his age. There's no respect for office. There's no respect for anything. There's no integrity, no dignity, no love, no grief. But as a Christian, we can't live that way. We are to treat people the way that we want to be treated. The Jewish people were to treat foreigners as well as they treated people inside the commonwealth of Israel. They were to treat Gentiles with kindness. But the Pharisees today, like the Pharisees of the culture, on both the left and the right of the political spectrum, lost sight of this. Jesus is pointing out the erroneous quality of conventional thinking. In fact, in Deuteronomy, here we go, Old Testament again, 1019, what does it say? Deuteronomy 1019. Everybody always likes to make this false dichotomy between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. It's all one Jesus, right? Deuteronomy 1019, love the sojourner, therefore, because you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Remember who you were. Remember what we were like before we were saved. Remember that we needed saving just like everybody else does. That we're no better than them. That we're nothing special. We're just instruments in the Redeemer's hands. And the question is, do we want to be useful or useless? The love of God is in us. The love of God, the love for God should be in us. And it must radiate outwardly in a tangible, observable, perceptible way. That's what's going on here in our passage. That's how we do the unexpected. That's how we engage in successful kingdom living in this fallen, broken, and dark world. Luke 6, 35 and 36 again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now you think about this. Do you remember the biblical definition of love I gave you some time ago from 1 Corinthians 13? Love is benefiting someone through righteous words, actions, and deeds with no thought of what you're going to get in return. That is the biblical definition of love. It is distilled, it is synthesized from 1 Corinthians 13. And as followers of Christ, that's what we're supposed to do, to love the unlovable, to love the unlovely. I mean, think about it. Why did God send his son to die for the world? Because it was filled with good and wonderful people. The only good and wonderful people that ever lived, person that ever lived was Jesus Christ. But what does it say in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's not that we loved him, it's that he first loved us. God took the initiative. God willed. This is volitional, intentional, willful love. Love is a verb. It's not a feeling that you feel when you feel something you feel you've never felt before. It's not a hole you fall into or a tree you fall out of. It is an act of will. We are to love generously. We are to love generously. You're like, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Because all this stuff sounds like it's way over my head. How how do I love somebody who calls me names, who sends me nasty emails at 6.50 a.m. on a Sunday morning? How do you do that? You know what you do? You pray for them. Talks about praying for those who persecute you. On, the, on my vacation, I reread Mere Christianity, and C.S. Lewis dealt with this same thing. And he said this, the more you pray for somebody, even though it goes against your grain, you don't want to, but you know you should, the more you pray for them, the more you become concerned for them. And the more you come concern, become concerned for them, the more you're aware of their needs. And as this happens, 
even if they don't even know it, you develop a concern, a relationship with them, kind of the way God had this relationship with us through his son. And you pray and you love. And because you love, you pray. And because you pray, you love more. And because you love more, you pray more. And if you try, and if you purpose to do these things, you'll love them. You'll wake up one day and wonder what in the world hit you. What happened? You know, but if you're unwilling to pray for someone, you are either so far from God that you don't realize it or you were never in the faith to start with. But start small. You see somebody on TV, on CNN or Fox News or whatever it is you watch and you don't like them, pray for them. You got somebody at work who looks like they were custom built to drive you crazy, pray for them. You've been married to the same person for 50 bazillion years and if they could just get rid of this one weirdo trait, life would be perfect. Pray for them. You've got a prodigal out there, pray for them. You're not going to force anybody to do anything against their will, but God can through use your prayers for them and the softening that they may, you may not even perceive, but they may perceive in you. As you do the unexpected, you never know what God can do. He can take a common everyday person like us and do amazing things. So we live generously and we love generously. Difficult, but not impossible. We do the unexpected. We go beyond what the culture expects or anticipates. And this leads to something else. Number three, you live and love sacrificially. Now, originally, I want to make these separate points, but then we'd be here all day. So live and love sacrificially. Here's where the trouble starts. You look at a verse and you're like, well, where does it say that? It says that in Matthew 5.48. Matthew 5.48 is the point of that passage. Remember I drew that that upside-down triangle for you, talked about inductive reasoning? You must be perfect. This is not a request. This is not a theoretical. This isn't subjunctive, the mood of possibility. This is an emphatic. This is a a declaration. You, me, we must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Christ calls us to do the impossible, or does he? He never calls us to do anything that he won't enable us to accomplish. And here's where doing the unexpected comes in. Here's where letting your light shine before others that they may see God at work in you. There's a lot of debate about this verse, mostly confusion. It always amazes me. People say, well, this is impossible. I've, I've, you know what? If you put enough time and effort into it, you put enough spade work into it, enough sweat equity, you can understand a difficult verse. You just have to read it in context. The parallel passages in both in the Old Testament and throughout the New is, be holy for the Lord your God is holy. Be holy for I am holy. I am the Lord. And the word holiness there and the word perfect there has to do with being different, has to do with being remarkable. When you take all of God's attributes, his communicable and his incommunicable attributes, and you put them in a bucket, that bucket is called holiness. It goes beyond just being pure. It goes, it's everything that makes God different than the world, and we have to be different than the world. We have to be complete. You see it, count it all joy whenever you encounter various and sundry trials. The testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfecting work, leaving you in the Greek entire and leaving nothing on the table. We are to strive to be like God. He doesn't say you're going to be successful, but you are, to, you are to strive to live generously and to love generously. And if you do that, it hurts. It costs you something. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This is Matthew 5, 44 and 45. This is the context, uh, you know, near context. So he makes his son, his son, S-U-N, Rise on the evil and on the good and sins reign to the ju- on the just and unjust. You are to be like him. And how different is God than we are? 
And I think of the costly love of Jesus Christ, how much it cost him. You know, we talk about him being humiliated on the cross. His humiliation began at the incarnation. When the God of glory left heaven, a place where there's no sin, sadness, or suffering, and came down to this earth. You know, a lot of times we go to different parts of the world. I was just in different parts of the world, and things don't always smell quite like we like them to. Can you imagine coming from heaven to earth? Can you imagine being born in a cave in a feed trough? Can you imagine sitting in synagogue every Saturday watching the rabbis butcher the text when you knew it perfectly, exhaustively, and having to show respect for your elders by asking questions, not making statements? Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 5-8 summarizes it this way. Have this mind, this loving, sacrificial, living mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied, but emptied himself, made himself of no account, is a better translation, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Living and loving generously is costly. It requires us to try and be like Christ, whose living and loving was incredibly sacrificial, and it could cost you everything. Cost you your right to retribution, your right to reparation, your right to reprisal. It's not easy to be like Christ. It's not easy to be like a Christ follower. But you've got to live for God. You've got to love him sacrificially so that you can live in a generous and love in a generous and live in a, and love in a sacrificial way. It's the nature of the church, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, the royal law, the law of love. You know, I remember early in my ministry, an older pastor sitting with me. I'd been counseling with this guy, literally. I had been meeting with this guy every week for five years. And he made about that much progress. Some people go gray, I go bald. Okay. And I was talking to this older pastor, and he goes, boy, and this was up in Wisconsin. He wasn't even a southerner, and he called me boy, right? Boy, he goes, there's some people you just can't fix. You just got to love them anyway. They're part of the church. God has loaned them to you for a season. That's what goes on in the church. Church is filled with all kinds of people from all kinds of places, with all kinds of strengths and weaknesses and idiosyncrasies. And we are to live with them and love them sacrificially the way we do the world. You know, it amazes me sometimes that we treat strangers better than we treat our own family. We'll say things to, straight, to, straight, we'll say things to our husbands or wives or our children that we would never say in public to a stranger. This all begins in the home and it radiates outwardly. It all begins in the church, and it goes outside the four walls of this meeting house. When we catch others making messes and stresses in their lives, or in the lives of others sinning against themselves and God, we're to be gracious to them. We're to live with them and love upon them sacrificially. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Think about that. In the home, in the workplace, in the classroom, in the public square. I'm reminded what he says in uh, Luke 9.23 and Matthew 16.24. If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself daily, take up his cross, and come after me. I just blunt the two passages together. Hopefully it showed up right on the, on the slide there. Yes. And he said, to all, to all, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, if anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, the instrument of his destruction. Following Christ will destroy you in this world if you're not careful. 
And even if you are, let him take up his cross every Sunday. No, daily and follow me. Remember what he said at the end of John's gospel? Peter's like, well, what about him? He goes, what's that to you? You follow me. This is what we're looking at here. We are to live generously. We're not to punch back. We are to love generously, even if it means praying for those who drive us crazy. And we are to live in love sacrificially because this will cost us. But in so doing, we do the unexpected and you just might get a hearing. We know what doesn't work, right? I I look at people trying all kinds of things with people at work or children or spouses and they're making a mess and a stress and a fuss and they're laying down the law. How's that working for you? Live generously, love generously, live in love sacrificially. Again, I go back to Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive him. Forgive them. They know not what they do. And they gambled for his clothing. You know, the results aren't up to you. They're up to God. That's why I say abide in Christ. Keep his word. Let him do the heavy lifting. You know, we are to do the unexpected and let God do the unexpected. We are to be salt and light. We are to make an impact. We are to turn heads by doing things that the culture won't do. By doing things that the average Pharisee wouldn't do. And, and this, it's not a bunch of feel-good platitudes. This is hard stuff. It's not eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's, it's life for life, love for love. Sacrificing for God. And I want you to just think about this because we're going to move into the practices of worship next week. But this starts inside of this body here and inside of this you know, hollow head. If you can wrap your brain around this, you've got it in a nutshell. No, just a little kidding there. But it starts with you. And it starts right where you're standing. Whatever neighborhood you live in, whether you live in a house, a condo, a mobile home, a shelter. And it radiates outward first to the people who are with you and around you and next to you who know your flaws. I mean, I want you to think about this, the final application here. Imagine a wife fed up with her husband and she sees him struggle to live for God. And she sees him fall short of the glory of God but keep on trying. And and she sees him begin to live generously, to love generously, to do what he does sacrificially. And she sees this frustration when he falls short and causes her or others to stumble. Imagine a husband looking at a wife the same way. Imagine people at work looking at this religious fanatic coming in every day and wanting to talk about Jesus. And they see him struggle with the same things that they struggle with. And they see him hold himself to a standard that they can't even believe he would hold himself to. And they prod and they push and they poke, and he doesn't poke back. And when, he, when they need help, he provides it. When they need somebody to stay with them an hour or two after work, he does it. She does it. Imagine a, an educator in an alien school system, alien to Christianity, and she or he comes in and loves on those students. And yes, he believes or she believes what she believes. And they don't like it, but they just see something different. This is the opportunity that you, me, we have to do the unexpected in this fallen, broken, messed up culture. To not respond in kind, but to respond in an otherworldly way right here and right now. And I want you to think about that. It's easy to get mad. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to feel sorry for ourselves. I know I do it every day. But God calls us to something higher, to keep on striving, to strive to be like God. To be perfect because our Heavenly Father is perfect. To be like Christ because of what Christ has done for us, to us, in us, and he would do through us if we would let him. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. It is a day that you've made, a day that we can rejoice and be glad in. And on this Father's Day, we want to say we love you, our Father in heaven, who loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son to die for our sins and to make a way for people like us to heaven. Father, help us to be lights to show others the way. Help us, oh God, to do the unexpected and in so doing, Lord, to show people a different way, the way to God, the way to forgiveness, the way to healing and restoration and hope. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you and thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.